What do you expect when you pray? What is God's attitude toward you? How does he respond to you? In his disposition, let alone his action. What is God's attitude to the prayers of his people? Can we know his heart? I hope you will understand that your answers to those questions will make an enormous difference to how you pray, perhaps even when or how often you pray, what you pray, and your expectations when you come to pray. Do we live and do we serve? Do we plead and do we pray with accurate notions of God in his heart toward us? In Psalm 119, David speaks often of his relationship to God. He does so from verse 129. Psalm 119, verse 129. He begins there. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes, because men do not keep your law. Let us pray. Father, grant that we may, even now in coming to you, know and express something of the confidence of David toward you, And may we find your mercy extended toward us, that we, O Lord, may know your favour, your smile, your grace in each of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119, then, and verse 132 answers those questions with which we began. That it is God's custom, it is God's habit, It is God's fundamental inclination to look with mercy upon those who call upon his name in love. My friends, that is thrilling. That means that when we come to pray, we know God's disposition toward us. When we bow the knee and call upon him, we already know what his attitude is to us. We do know the heart of God toward us as we come to him in prayer. We'll begin with the believer's cry as it's expressed in this verse. Then we'll look at the Lord's custom in a little more detail. And then we'll consider the saint's character as those to whom God shows this disposition. The believer's cry is there in the first part of the verse. Look upon me and be merciful to me. 
And as so often in the Psalms and elsewhere, you read this and, and you say, well, that covers it. I, I think I've probably lost track of the number of times that I've been preaching something like this, and I've said, this feels comprehensive to me. This feels like, and here, it's another way in which, in a simple set of phrases, it feels like we can put all our lives and all our hopes before God in a few short words. Look upon me and be merciful to me. It's a sweet reminder that when we come in prayer, Although it is good to be specific and it's profitable to lay things before the Lord God in detail, that a few short and well-appointed words will do the job if they come from a heart that knows its business at the throne of grace. And so you've got this desire, look upon me. And it's perhaps uh, reflected in verse 135, make your face shine upon your servant. It's that beautiful language which we find in various places and, and different, slightly different senses of God lifting up the light of his countenance upon us. It's the smile of the Almighty toward his covenant people. We're saying here, David is, is saying, and we can enter in, turn your face toward me in gracious favour. Or if you want to get it right down to the, the nitty-gritty, smile upon me. When you look at me, smile. You know the difference that that makes? Someone's talking, toward, talking with you or, or working with you, and when a smile lights up their face, when you're in relationship to somebody and they see you coming and they smile. What do you think God is like when you, as it were, knock on his door and ask to speak with him again David says look upon me in favor receive me readily look with a loving eye and there's so much comfort here because David is dealing with God we get things wrong we get things wrong about ourselves and we get things wrong with regard to other people when some look at us they seem to see everything that is wrong, everything that is dark, everything that is twisted. There's this ugly imputing of evil. So often when we look at people, we, we think we know their motives and we're pretty confident their motives are usually pretty messed up. But I'm asking God to look upon me. We ask God to take account of what's going on. And we can do so with absolute confidence then that God sees clearly and truly and accurately. And we can come to him then without uh, any kind of confusion or suspicion. And we can and we should lay our lives before the Lord God. To say that you want God to look upon you is to surrender yourself to have God look within and without. On one level, there's no point trying to hide. But here is the sincere desire that God would take account of everything that takes place in our souls and everything that takes place in our lives. You want to be able to say, oh God, look at my heart and look at my way. Look at what's going on in my home and look what's going on in my, my work and look what's going on in my relations and look what's going on in my, my convictions and my inward desires. Look at what's taking place in the church. Take account, O oh God, of my thoughts and my words and my deeds. You know my circumstances. You know the needs that I have. You know the challenges that I face. You know the questions that I have. 
You know things about me, O Lord, that I don't even know about myself. You know things that have happened and are happening and will yet happen, of which I am entirely or substantially or largely ignorant. So, O God, look at me. Take account of where I am. Turn your face in kindness toward me and have mercy. Be merciful to me. Now, my friends, there's not a single child of God in this world who will ever outgrow this humble language. It covers all our circumstances. Be merciful to me. There's implied confession here. There's a consciousness, perhaps, of particular sin or of general sinfulness. And the man here is pleading that God would deal with him beyond what he can or does deserve. And in that sense, mercy, mercy is always my plea. When I have dealings with the Lord God of heaven, it's never merit. There's nothing more terrifying to think of than the man or woman, boy or girl, who comes before God and says, right, give me what I deserve. You do not want to deal with the holy God of heaven on the basis of what you actually deserve. For what you deserve is his wrath and his judgment. The plea that you have, the desire that you should express, is mercy. And the thing is, that even then as a child of God, even as one who's striving to please my Father in heaven, am I perfect? Do I get everything right? No, I constantly fall short of his glory, not as I once did in rebellion against him, but even in striving to do what pleases him, I am not what I ought to be. And I still cannot plead my merits. I can plead Christ's, but when it comes to God's dealings with me, Lord, look upon me in favour, in grace, in kindness, in tenderness. Look upon me in love and in faithfulness and be merciful to me. Merit damns me if I'm dealing on my own basis. It is mercy that saves me and blesses me. And what is wonderful about this is that there's no selfish prescription. There's no arrogant dictation. This man is not coming before God and saying, I know what's best for me and you'd better give it to me. And sometimes we might imagine that we know a situation well enough to be able to say, Lord, I want this. Even then, and here would be, I hope, the proper sense of the language. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So often, my friends, I haven't got a clue. I've got a general sense, perhaps. I've got a, a healthy direction. But if I want to cover all the bases, then to pray like this. Lord, look upon me. Turn your face toward your church. Turn your face toward your servant. And be merciful toward us. It's the sweet language of putting yourself in your heavenly Father's hands there is no safer there is no better place for you and i to be than under the smile of god and in the hands of god now brothers and sisters do we cry accordingly are our prayers in any right sense an echo of the spirit and the substance of the psalmists look unto me and be merciful toward me Look upon me at grace 
and show your favour to me. I don't know if the, the blind beggar had these verses in mind, but do you remember how he called out when he knew that the Lord Jesus was drawing near? Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And he reiterated his cry, even when they told him to, to be quiet and move away and to stop disturbing the crowd and the Christ. He cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Do we pray like this, with this kind of sense, with this kind of desire, with this kind of expectation? Are we given to prayer that God would deal with us in this way? And it's interesting, even in the context, that the desires that the psalmist has are primarily desires for holiness and for obedience. Look how this prayer is nestled in the verses that surround it. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. I wanted to know, O oh Lord, what you wanted of me. I wanted to know what your word said to me. I wanted to know what it was that would please you. Look upon me and be merciful to me. O oh God, teach me your way. Show me your law. Lead me in the way everlasting. And then verse 33, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Oh God, don't let me live with, with, as it were, the hooks of sin in my soul. Don't let me go with the shackles of transgression on my feet. Don't let me live under the burden of some oppressive sin. Don't let me be the man or the woman who, who lives saying, in effect, well, this is just the way I am and you're just going to have to put up with it. No, oh God, liberate me from my transgressions direct my steps by your word let there be no twistedness in my soul no perversion in my life that's got a death grip upon me and will not let me go you oh god you look upon me and you be merciful to me turn your face toward me in accordance with all your great kindnesses it's an expression of need independence, humble cries from an open heart. Now, brothers and sisters, are we committed to praying like this as a congregation? Are we committed to it individually as members of this congregation? Again, you might say, well, I don't know what to pray or how to pray. <coughs> Look upon me and be merciful to me. Covers so much of the daily territory even if you were to pray like this you would find it i imagine to be something of a springboard you would find it to be to be starting to to fuel your desires for holiness what will mercy to me look like what are the sins with which i struggle what are the virtues that i am cultivating what are the opportunities that i want to take what are the uh, iniquities which i am fighting what is the longing that I have for obedience? Oh God, deal with me mercifully in those respects. And then do we make it our priority and our commitment as God enables us? And again, I know that there are providential hindrances, but are we gathering whenever we can as a church, when we are together as God's people, do we take time to pray? 
when we're even having a cup of tea or a coffee together, maybe a, a family get-together, is there any sense amongst us now is a chance to pray together and to call upon God and to make it our united desire that God would look upon his people and that God would be merciful to us. It is the believer's cry. It is the heartfelt appetite of a child of God that the Lord of glory, the Lord of all grace, would smile upon us and shower us with undeserved mercies because we want to be a holy people. With what confidence can you ask that? Because the very cry for mercy is a confession, isn't it? If you're asking God to do you good you don't deserve then you already know that you don't deserve it. So on what basis can a sinner like me or a sinner like you, sinners like us, draw near to the throne of God and ask him for favour? Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. There, my friends, is our confidence. That's the heart of God toward his people. It is normal in God to answer such prayers. It is typical of God to respond favourably to such cries. It is the habit of the Holy One to smile upon his people when they call upon his name. And that is wonderful. That is marvellous. Do we actually believe that it is so? Do we know God well enough to be able to say with confidence, I know how you respond to your people. I know how you deal with the cries of your needy ones. It is normal with you. It is typical of you. It is your customary way of dealing to look with favour upon your people and to show your mercies toward them. And my friends, remember that David is speaking of the unchanging God. If this has been his custom, then it is his custom still. If this is the way that the Lord has always dealt with his people, then it is the way that he continues to deal with his people, to look with favour and to demonstrate mercy to men. Now, where do you see his custom? Well, you can see it with regard to others. You can see it with regard to the saints who are recorded, their lives are recorded in the pages of Scripture. You can look, work your way through the, the whole Bible. You can go back to your Abrahams and your Isaacs and your Jacobs. You can look at your Josephs and your Moses, Moseses, whatever that would be in the plural. You can look at these examples of, of godly men and women in the Scriptures. That people like Hannah, people like Sarah. People like Rebecca, people like Deborah, people like David, people who called upon the name of the Lord. And sometimes the scriptures delight to zero in on those particular moments, those particular occasions. A David who is calling out to God in the midst of his trouble. How many of the Psalms are prayers that either end in expectation or testimony that the Lord actually heard him, looked upon him and showed mercy toward him? 
Or you have Abraham, and he's pleading with God with regard to Sodom, where his nephew Lot is, and he's asking God again and again, and he's calling upon the name of the Lord. He's asking him for a son, and he gets a son. He asks him for particular favors, and he receives those favors. You see someone like Hannah, and she's wrecked in her soul. She's so grieved and distressed. And even when she goes up to the temple, Eli sees her soul's expressions coming out upon her face. And that man, however well-meaning, thinks that she's just another drunk woman at the tabernacle. But no, it's a woman of God, and she's pleading with the Lord, look upon me and be merciful to me. You work your way through the scriptures. You come into the New Testament. You see the people of God calling upon the name of the Lord in their distress. And it is God's custom to do good to them. Sometimes he answers their prayers as they expect. Sometimes he answers them in ways that they do not expect. Always he answers abundantly above what they ask or think You work your way on through the history of the church of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you look at the the testimonies of the church fathers and there you see men who stood firm and in times of distress they pleaded with God and sometimes marvellously delivered from danger and sometimes marvellously provided with courage in the midst of danger that they would stand firm and not turn away. And as the centuries roll on, you see some of the the so-called heroes of the faith, the stalwart believers who have done mighty deeds for the name of God, and yet they were the ones who were calling out, look upon me and be merciful to me. You read the testimonies of a a Luther or a Zwingli or a Calvin or a Butzer or a Melanchthon, some of the magisterial reformers. You dive into the lives of those who followed after them on the continent and here in this country. You trace it down through the evangelical revivals of the 18th century. You look at the men like Spurgeon or Muller who lived in an attitude and disposition of prayer and what marks out the way that God deals with these people they call upon him and he shows mercy toward them and you don't need to go as far back into history and you might say well I barely know some of those names my friends look around the congregation here there are saints who have walked with God for years and their testimony would be and the evidence of their lives is that God typically shows his goodness it's the way god deals with us i can see people nodding you can't yeah that's me i've looked to god and he's looked upon me i've called on the name of the lord and he has been merciful to me god deals graciously favorably and kindly with me and so many of us look even closer We look to our own experience. Christian, can you not trace back perhaps minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years? What has been God's habitual disposition toward you? Why are you not in hell? Why is there breath in your body? Why are you sitting among the saints? Why do you have the blessings that you have? 
Why have you advanced in godliness the way that you have advanced? Why do you have the Christian friendships that you enjoy? Why have you been sustained in times of trial and trouble? Why, when you have called upon the Lord, has he heard you and answered you? It's because it is perfectly normal with God. It's his custom. It's his habit. It's his typical way of dealing. It's the inclination of his heart to look upon and be merciful to those who love his name. Do we pray the way David prayed? Do we hope the way David hoped? What is your highest aspiration? What's your great expectation of God? Remember, we, we live at a time and in a place where everybody is unique. Well, almost by definition, everybody is unique. Oh, but I'm really unique. I'm a special case. I'm not like anybody else, and I deserve special treatment. I need people to arrange things around me. I need the world to revolve around me. I need to be on a pedestal. I'm the one who needs to be in cotton wool. I'm the one who has to be set apart. In so Have you ever prayed, Lord, deal with me the way you deal with all your children? Isn't that refreshing? Lord, all I ask is that you deal with me as a heavenly father with your children that you treat me the way that you've treated all other undeserving men and women upon whom you have set your love. Lord, if you deal with me the way you deal with everybody else, I'm a blessed man. I'm a happy woman. If you simply look upon me with the favour and the grace and the kindness with which you have always dealt with your beloved people, then all my needs will be met because that's the way you are. And that's what you do. And so we come. And here's humility again. Lord, deal with me in your ordinary way. Here, Jesus shows a smiling face and waits to answer prayer. My friends, if I have that, I'm already more blessed than I can possibly calculate. If God doesn't damn me, I've been spared. If God loves me and cares for me and blesses for me, blesses me, I have more than I could possibly calculate in terms of favour. But do I know my God like this? Do I expect God to bless? Or do I think that if I come, as it were, and knock on the Lord's door, he's going, oh, you again. Really? More? Look upon me. And be merciful to me. My friend, if you knock upon the door of heaven with such a plea as this, do you actually know that God will always welcome you in? Are you confident that he will never turn you away? Do you have such a view of the heart of God in Christ Jesus that you are confident of your reception with him. Do you understand what I mean when I say this should transform my attitude and yours to our praying? If I really believe this about God, don't you think I would pray more readily? Don't you think I would pray more expectantly? Don't you think I would ask more widely? The Lord delights to show mercy. Do I believe that about him? Or do I think that he's perhaps hard and cold 
and distant? Do I believe that God shows mercy to thousands, to those who love him and keep his commandments? Do I believe that there are common mercies of God that are scattered abroad across the whole world, that there is a breadth to the loving kindness of God so that even where he does not save, he is slow to anger and he is quick to dispense favours. My friend, if you know God like this, you'll be pleading for salvation. If you're not yet a Christian, this is your confidence. Sometimes when we come under conviction of sin, when we begin to realise just how desperate we are, when we begin to appreciate our need of mercy, there's a suspicion that creeps in. It may be because of the way that we've always had God set before us. It may be because... We don't actually see many of these things and there's not much of an open and and frank testimony about God's kindnesses. It may be because the devil whispers in our ear, will God really accept you, a sinner like you, scum like you, a wicked man or woman like you, a boy or a girl with your heart? What makes you think that God will receive you? I tell you what makes me think that God will receive you. It is his custom to be merciful. That is glorious. That's so sweet and that is so sure that my God does not turn away any sinner who calls upon him. That he is a father who delights to give good gifts to his children. So you have the believer's cry. Look upon me and be merciful to me. You've got the Lord's custom That's his habit, his normal way of dealing. And then you have the saint's character. It is God's custom to deal like this toward those who love your name. Now, you might say, how then does one come to love God's name? Let me put it this way. I don't think there's anybody who hasn't begun to see the loveliness of God's name who prays like this. If you have it in your heart to ask the Lord God of heaven to look upon you and to be merciful toward you, it is because you have begun to see the loveliness that belongs to him. Only those whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit Only those who've begun to see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ come and ask God to look upon them and to be merciful to them. This then is the cry of those who have come to love the name of God, who have seen the heart of God revealed. For a child of God, in one sense it's very simple. Show me more of God and I love. I know he is lovely. I know that in Christ he is altogether lovely and the more I see of him, the more delighted I am with him. I am primed to love him. My heart is inclined toward him. All that I have already seen of him, all that I have already tasted of him, all that I have already received from him means that my whole disposition and inclination in my heart is when I see more, not to draw back, I didn't expect that, I didn't enjoy that, I didn't like that, but it is God in his glory and in his beauty who being set before me draws out my heart toward him. 
I see all his attributes shining in Christ Jesus. I love his person. I love him as the three in one and the one in three, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. I love him as the triune God considered as the one. I love him as my Father who set his love upon me from before the foundation of the world, who takes care of me, who lavishes love upon me, who gives good gifts, that father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, that eternal faithfulness, that covenant disposition in which having set his love upon me from before the foundation of the world, he never ceases to love me. I love my God in the person of the Son. I love him who took upon himself flesh and blood. I love that one who came on behalf of the Godhead, who said, as it were, to his Father, Here am I, send me, who came and loved and lived and died in my place. The one who demonstrates God to me. The one who shows me what God is like. The one in whom, when I gaze upon him, I see the very character of God set forth. And I love God in the person of the Holy Spirit. He who has worked in me and is at work upon me. That one who sustained my Saviour in all his travails and trials here upon earth. The one who indwelt him gloriously and perfectly and fully and eternally. The one by whom he was raised again from the dead. The one by whom he worked his mighty works. The one who still is like a divine spotlight who throws that beam of glorious light upon the person and work of Jesus Christ and not only illuminates him but opens my eyes that I can actually see him as he is who makes the blind to see who makes the deaf to hear who makes the lame to run who has worked in my soul to give me some sense of these things made me alive together with Jesus Christ I love his character I love the fact that he is merciful to people That seems to me both amazing and normal. I love his justice. I love his truth. I love the fact that I can rely upon every word that proceeds from his mouth. That his truth is like silver tried seven times in a furnace so that it is entirely pure. I rejoice to know that not one word of my father's ever falls to the ground. I delight myself in his righteousness. His holiness awes me, but it also delights me. I want no other God than this God who is of spotless purity and awesome majesty. I love his eternity. I love the fact that he is without beginning and without end, from everlasting to everlasting. I love the fact that there is no limit to his power, to his wisdom, to his goodness. I rejoice to know that he is never going to change. That this God, this Christ, is the same yesterday, today and forever. That my Saviour is Alpha and Omega. I love his perfections. I love that he is not just powerful, but all-powerful. Not just knowing, but all-knowing. I love the fact that his holiness is without spot or blemish, that he is high and lifted up. 
I delight to know that his majesty is that of supreme government. I love to think of the intensifications and the elevations of scripture language, the holy, holy, holy God who dwells in the holiest place. I love his revelation. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I love it so much that rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. I love the very fact that the God who made all things has opened his mouth and spoken to me, that I may know him, that I may understand his will, that I may come to know him for salvation. And I love his salvation. It beggars my understanding that God should take notice of man. But when I remember that his custom is to be merciful, it does not so much surprise me as simply astound me that when God shows mercy, he should show mercy in the way that he does. That he should send his son, this father, into the world to suffer and die in the place of sinners. And he's not, as it were, grabbing his son by the scruff of the neck. But it is the father's will that the son should come. And it is the son's delight to do the will of his father. So that when I hear him praying in the garden, I understand that this is not some kind of childish stroppiness. This is not some kind of filial rebellion. This is a son who loves his father and who desires to do his will. I love the way that that salvation holds together. I love the way that it is revealed by degrees until it comes to its fullest expression in him who is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and works conviction and conversion in the hearts of men and women who are dead in their trespasses and sins. I love the fact that the unwilling are not brought unwillingly, but they are made willing by the tender workings of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. I marvel that God should open the eyes of the blind in such a way that, that those who were lost in darkness and set in rebellion against him, whose hearts were enmity against God, come in sweet submission, understanding that God in Christ has made himself known for mercy, and that that mercy is poured out when the Son of God incarnate dies on the cross at Calvary. And I love his glory. The idea that God is God and there is no other. The idea that all honour and majesty, all <clears throat> glory, all power belong to him. That he does not consult with any in these things. That he is not willing to share his glory with any other. So far from offending me, that delights me. That is how it should be because this is God. The living and true God. He is the one who has made himself known. He is most glorious. He is most excellent. He is most high. He is most holy. And I know that I could stand here for hours and scrape the depths of my understanding, exhaust my vocabulary, search the scriptures for other illustrations and examples. And I know that every expression of love falls short of the loveliness 
of the triune God in his revelation of himself to sinful men. I know that I haven't begun to express what it means for God to be customarily merciful towards sinners like us. David isn't claiming perfect love. And there's not a child of God here who can say tonight, I love God as he is entitled to be loved by me. But it is sincere love. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as is your habit towards others who also love your name. Brothers and sisters, have we come to love God? Have we come to delight in God? I don't ask as you should or even as you would, but is there anything of delight and joy toward the Almighty in your soul? Perhaps you're here this evening, you're saying, but I don't know that I'm among those who love the name of God. May I ask you, is there any appetite for him? Is there any desire for him? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. If you don't know God, you will see no loveliness in him. You will be like those of whom Isaiah speaks. When you see Christ Jesus, it will be ugly, it will be repugnant, it will be offensive to you in your thinking and in your feeling. You will not give him the honour and glory which he is due, but has God worked in you to give you any appetite? Are you here tonight perhaps saying, I long to long more for him, I love to, the idea of loving him, I want to love him more, my friend, where does that come from? That's not a natural desire. That's not the instinct of a heart that is in rebellion against God. That's the cry of one in whom the Holy Spirit of God has been at work. And so if you're here this evening and there's anything of love, desire or appetite in your heart for God, I'm pleading with you. Ask him to look upon you and be merciful to you. And do it with the confidence of one who knows that it is God's habit to respond readily to those in whom love has been worked. Remembering that all love in the hearts of fallen men and women for this holy God are the fruits of the inward working of his spirit. And so will we love and will we live in accordance with these things? Have you come to love God because you are a sinner and because you are his son? Seems so strange to say, doesn't it? Why do you love God? I love him because I'm a sinner. And the logic of that seems strange to someone who doesn't know this God. Surely if you're a sinner, you'll be against him. Surely if you're a sinner, you'll run from him. Surely if you're a sinner, you'll want nothing. To... No, no, because I'm a sinner. I see in him all I might ever wish and desire. And he's made me his son. He's called me to himself. And as the son of such a father, as the redeemed of such a ransomer, as one indwelt by such a, a spirit, I am taken up with him. Have you seen then your need of a saviour? You sitting here tonight perhaps even in the light of what was preached this morning, and you've begun at least to see something 
of the kindness and the mercy, the compassionate greatness of Jesus Christ? Have you seen that you need a saviour? Have you seen the saviour that you need? Have you seen the God who delights to show mercy? Have you cried out to him? Have you cried out to him yet? Have you not found him merciful? Is there anybody you can say, I went to him and he turned me away? I called upon him and he cast me out. The Lord Jesus Christ has assured us that the divine mercy is as much in operation today in him as it has ever, be, ever, as it has ever been. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. How do you know? How can you be sure? Because it is the habit of our God to show mercy to sinners who call upon his name. And am I living in dependence upon him? Having known his mercy, do I keep asking him to look upon me and to continue to shower his love on me? Am I marked as one who desires to honour him in all things? Perhaps after this morning you were saying, I know I should pray, but I don't even know how to pray. Perhaps you were saying, I don't know if I've ever prayed. What is your confidence? What should be your custom? What should be your habit? What should be your expectation? It is to come toward the God of the Scriptures with the disposition and the expectation of David here. O oh God, look upon me and be merciful to me. That is your custom toward those who love your name.